Welcome to Is This Working? The tools we used to work have changed drastically, but how we work hasn't. In this podcast, we explore how we can make work work better for us. We're your hosts, me, Anna Cotorado, and me, Tiffany Philippi. Each week, we challenge conventional views about work by taking on topics like mental health, productivity, office culture, and even what the modern way of working means for our relationships. From bad coffee to identity crises, we got you covered. This isn't about the future of work. This is about what's happening in work right now. we're talking about time why does it feel like we never have enough time to get everything done and what can we do about it making enough time to fit everything we have to do in is something that everyone has struggled with at some point or another some of us have turned to tools and apps to try and manage our time better but this is what happened when tiffany didn't have enough time i started my career over 10 years ago in startup land where busyness and chaos were almost status symbols and tools to communicate to the world that you were doing your part to do the one thing that startups seem to exist to do, and that is to grow. I didn't know how to work if I wasn't running on adrenaline. And to tell you the truth, I still get high off adrenaline today. <laughs> but over time, as and as I became more senior, I learned how to ruthlessly prioritize and I taught others to do the same. And then I became freelance and it all changed. I forgot to adhere to my own advice. I'd spend my time complaining I didn't have enough of it. Even though I wasn't technically working full time, I felt busier than ever. I had no commute, hardly any calls or emails. So the feeling that I didn't have any time literally made no sense at all. But at the same time, I also became obsessed with productivity Uh, when you freelance as you know no one can see you so you need to be really productive and because I sell my time as well I became I saw myself and my value in relation to my time and so my pursuit of productivity got fairly obsessive and that coupled with my feeling of a lack of time really reached its peak when I caught myself fast forwarding through productivity videos on YouTube because I felt like I didn't have time to watch them. I think that image of you doubling up the speed of the YouTube videos on productivity is such a beautiful metaphor for, I think, a problem that everyone is having with work right now, which is about getting more done with getting more done in less time. Um, What what kind of made you realize that, okay, no, this is a problem I need to kind of reevaluate or what did you do when you realized it was a problem? That that would have been my rock. That was my rock bottom. I wasn't dressed and I was (laughs) on the sofa and I think I was texting you about it. Um, Always have time for WhatsApp messages, however. Um, So what did I do about it? I read a great book that you lent me, which I know we'll talk about later. So I won't go into that in too much detail. But I really stopped. I'd hit my rock bottom when it came to time. And I like whenever you hit one, any rock bottom, you need to completely press the reset button. Mm -hmm. And so I started with, let's imagine a world where I have loads of time. What happens now? 
And what did happen? What did happen? <laughs> um, so then I began to move more slowly through the day. Mm-hmm. And I allowed space to make food or take breaks. And I kept some of the productivity tips that I'd come across, but I dismissed most of them. And in general, I just ruthlessly prioritize. I've removed quite a lot of different projects from my life, actually. Mm. Um, And so now I move fairly slowly through the day. I actually don't have a routine, which is quite controversial because I know you're a big routine person. I'm a big routine person. And I think we can get onto that in a second. But one thing I just wanted to ask you really quickly is you said that when you worked at startups, you were really good at prioritizing. Why do you think when you first went freelance, it that kind of fell out of balance um because you just mentioned that you had to reprioritize things but what what happened in how you were prioritizing from when you worked for a company to when you were freelance it's funny because i remember in the early days when i was at the startup and someone would be like i don't have time to do something and i'd be like we'll stay later then <laughs> i didn't actually mean that what i meant was you're telling me that what i'm asking you to do isn't as important mm. as what else you have to do and then I'd realize it's really rude to, well, I sort of didn't want to piss off too many people. So then I'd say, let's see what has to be done wider and what's good for the company and come up with a plan. And the other thing is when younger people used to come to me and say, I'm so busy, I've got so much to do. I'm not learning anything at this startup. I'd be like, this is what you're learning. You're learning how to prioritize. Mm. This is the lesson you're learning. This is far more useful than whatever skill or discipline you think you want to learn. So I really was a master and a lecturer about prioritization. <laughs> and I, considering I was at a startup, towards the end, I had a very pretty he- healthy relationship between my work and time. And I was really, really on it. Then I went freelance. I think it's a combination of things. I think it's because I wanted to do so much. Mm. And it's that classic freelancing where you do have mild niggling self-doubt all the time. And I also... Oh, I completely underestimated how long it took to do things. That's the other big thing with regards to the change that I made. I began to track, and I know we'll talk about this later, how long things actually took. And so when I was starting out freelance and I was pitching myself for new business, I'd completely underestimate how everything took, how long everything took. And also when you freelance you're expected to do stuff to a very high standard so there's this fear and wanting to be perfect so spending loads of time on things not budgeting the right amount of time and mild insecurity and stress and the important thing to remember though is I wasn't billing for full time Mm. so this really was a lot in my head and actually if you and I wasn't commuting like so what were you doing with that what was I doing (laughs) Um, Because I'm actually not a big like procrastinator. Um, So when I started measuring my time, I've realized that housework takes ages. Um, And what else is I doing? Probably WhatsApping quite a lot, if I'm honest. And just just everything. Like I remember I timed it and I thought, went to put my gym kit on and it took me 15 minutes and I was like how is that possible that is in my head that's a three minute activity Mm. um so there's all little bits and bobs like that and I think there's obviously the thing that when you're in the really bad headspace which was what I was in before my rock my time rock bottom um you're so frantic in your head that you can't do anything and that's obviously what I think happens to a lot of people Mm. 
It's really interesting because a lot of what you've described really resonates with me in terms of the shift you make when you start working for yourself because what you were just saying about spending so much time on WhatsApp, I don't think that's a huge issue because you're not working in an office where you have that social aspect and you have those other people to talk to. You've just taken all of that time in an office that gets wasted, not wasted, but a part of your day that is talking to other people. And that's just now basically you WhatsApping me all of the time. Well, I guess because you're when you're freelance, you're like, well, who? I'm not going to waste time on the train. I'm not going to waste time making small talk with like Sue from accounts or whatever. So you're like, great. I can like do all my work in four hours and then go and like um, volunteer at a charity or like become a heavy weight lifter or whatever. <laughs> and when actually that doesn't happen, so I think that's also part part of it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's the thing is we can't. Freelancing is great for so many reasons, and you know, for the right people, it's it's definitely a very empowering career choice. But at the same time, there are only so many hours in a day, and there are also only so many hours in a day that you can work, both on projects that require you to be paid for, but also on extracurricular activities as well. We do have to have downtime and. Um, brain mush time time to think yeah completely undervalued in our work culture today it's time to think yes and I think especially in an office you it would be weird to stare in space at your desk yes (laughs) even though I do so much of that now and it's that's those that's the time where the ideas the best ideas come yeah um this whole conversation around time and you've you've we've talked a lot about prioritizing why do you think so many of us are bad at prioritizing i think it's a couple of things i think it's the process of prioritizing versus with putting it into action Mm. so most people should be fairly able to write a list of priorities about what's most important and it's that urgent versus important thing and to put what's important and what really matters usually tends to be stuff that's a bit more long-term and you get a bit less less instant gratification from. So even if you put it at number one at your list, um, the reality is people start their day and even if you start your day how you probably should, which is this is what I need to get done today, you'll tick off the list, the small things first, because that's like a dopamine hit of, woohoo, I've done this thing. And you probably won't get to the thing that's at the top of your priorities list. So the way I managed that when I was talking about revisiting my time relationship is I was like, I'm not going to do housework. I'm not going to do anything until the evening Uh, like that. And that does mean sometimes I sit with dirty plates in the washing in the sink. And that's what proper prioritization looks like. And I think also say like health and fitness is in your list um maybe a month or so ago going to the gym was like number two on my priorities list and now it's shifted to number three so I'm sitting here in my gym kit not having been (laughs) and but that means I you probably don't get to your number three yeah I mean I only realized this very recently but even if you take a very simple way of looking at your to-do list which is if you write down 10 things on your to-do list and you have no concept of how long each one of those items is going to take it will always be endless because if every single thing on that list is going to take an hour, that's 10 hours. You you can't do 10 hours worth of stuff in a working day. And it's to your point that you made earlier, which is 
we don't know we don't have a very good grasp of how long things take um something we touched on earlier about routines i know people are endlessly fascinated about how people structure their days you read them in all sorts of magazine columns what how do you structure your day what is your routine like because i know that yours and ours looks very different yeah i'm i'm a rebel (laughs) no routine for me you read constantly you're supposed to wake up at the same time every day and that routine is key so either i'm an outlier or it just depends who you are Mm. i presume a bit of both i wake up without an alarm and so that means i wake up at completely different times every day but in general means i feel pretty good when i wake up um so my routine's changed a bit so full disclosure i've paused my startup consulting on the whole and i'm working on writing a book which is a fairly major task and also some other writing pieces but what's really interesting is something like a book i don't have a book deal or anything it's very much like i'm writing this in the hope if any publishers are listening (laughs) it's really good but um (laughs) but you know that's one of those things i don't have um guaranteed uh uh, outcome so actually to get that done I had to remove everything else from my life whereas when I was doing startup consulting and also blogging or pitching to media it was a bit easy to fit easier to fit those in and then any paid work that I do do is kind of on the list with I hope no clients are listening the washing machine (laughs) so what I mean is if I have a piece of copywriting to do for a website I will do that when scheduling my week as the last thing of the week because as far as I'm concerned that's the bottom of the priority whereas it's really easy to be like I get paid to do this so I'm going to do this first but that's not how I do it so I've had to completely strip everything out to get this book done and what that means is so I don't have a routine I sort of flow through the day in this sort of pretentious oh I'm a writer kind (laughs) of thing but actually it works really well for me so I wake up I get a coffee is this level of detail <laughs> yes i think this is what this is what we're all dying to hear uh i go back to bed and i read and i every morning and this is me getting very hashtag gratitude um i'm like wow how cool is this i get to do this while everyone else is like on the tube or whatever so that's that's a really beautiful start to my day and then when i feel like it and the time varies i start writing and then i do a good burst and then Again, it's, it takes to the mood. Like I eat when I'm hungry. So sometimes I have two breakfasts. So, um, I'm so jealous of your life. <laughs> it's a bit, uh, it's a bit, um, I have to, but I'm not being paid for it right now. I guess that's, a, I guess that's the downside. But, um, you know, I, so I eat just when I'm hungry and in quite an intuitive way. And then when I feel like it, so say my concentration wanes, I'll go to the gym. So today's a great example. So I had in my diary to come here and in my head I wake up and I'm flowing through my day and I'm like, I'm going to go to the gym mid morning was my original plan. So I'd have to leave at 1 p.m. to come to your house. This is where the the scene of the magic. (laughs) But then I was in such a good flow of my writing and writing as discussed, number one on the priority list. So that means that... I don't go to the gym. I don't stop. I don't pull the rug out of doing the writing. And that's what real, um, that's what real prioritization looks like. It's sacrifice. And it's me going, I won't go to the gym today. Maybe I'll go later. We both know I won't. (laughs) And, um, and that's how I flow through my day. But I, I think that 
really hits the nail on the head about something I asked earlier, which is why so many people are bad at prioritizing, because what you've just described is someone who is really, really honest with what they want to achieve and very focused on getting that. And that is what real prioritization looks like. You've asked yourself the hard questions of what do I really want to do right now? I really want to get this book out of the door. That's going to require quite a lot of sacrifices on your part. Getting to a place where you can ask yourself those kinds of questions is actually really tricky. And I think that's what we're going to be talking about in our next segment, which will be on why we don't feel like we have enough time. Stay tuned. So something you mentioned earlier is that I lent you a book when you hit your time rock bottom. Well, that book was The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And it's essentially it's a self-help book for successful people. But the (laughs) chapter that's really relevant to this conversation is the one called Einstein Time. And in it, Hendricks talks about how we've been thinking about time completely wrong Um, And he says that if you start taking ownership of time and acknowledging that you are where time comes from, it will stop owning you. So this theory actually just comes from Einstein's theory of time, which is that time is not universal. It's essentially personal, that everyone's experience of time is unique to them. Can I interrupt you just to say what I found illustrated that point best Mm -hmm. for me, for my brain, was when it said, think about something that you don't like doing that takes 10 minutes versus something you really enjoy that's an hour. Mm -hmm. And for me, that really made me visualize and feel what that point, what he was talking about. Definitely. He uses the example of putting your finger on a stove for one second feels like it's burning for an hour but spending an hour with someone you love feels like it passes in a second which I think really gets to the heart of this that how we're spending our time is actually what creates the feelings around it and one thing that he talks about in that chapter is all around how you need to rid your vocabulary of blaming time and to stop thinking of time as the enemy to stop seeing time as the as something that's in scarcity that we are beholden to something that's external from us uh so that all sounds very lofty and abstract but really in practice what it really means is stop saying i don't have enough time to do to do this oh if only i had more time and all of these kinds of qualifiers which is something i think you kind of experimented with yeah i thought it was totally wacko but i was as discussed <laughs> in such a desperate state i thought i'd try it so you don't say i don't have time and you don't complain about time and it's magical i suddenly had loads of time and it really is that thing of um the mind connecting to your actions but i stopped complaining about time and we kind of check each other so we don't go we don't have time we go that's not a priority for me right now yeah and 
it's just an absolute game changer. I loved it. I can't believe it. It's amazing. Why do you think people struggle with that as a concept? Why do you think people default to blaming time for something rather than their priorities? I think it's that it's so much easier to blame the other. And I think it's that coupled with the busyness sickness we have in our society. So we give status to being busy and then you can blame that status that you have for not getting shit done or being late. Yes. I mean, the the lateness thing, I think is, I think there's a huge parallel here to be drawn with lateness because I find people who are late very rude and I don't understand how people can be late because if you, you should know how long it takes you to get somewhere in the same way that you should know how long it takes you to get something done. Um, but that aside, let's talk a bit about this busyness sickness. It's something that Brene Brown Hero. Hero. Um, for anyone who doesn't know who Brene Brown is, she is a researcher whose research is actually rooted in social work. Um, she's now kind of a, I mean, an internet personality, really. She did this very seminal TED talk and she's authored a, a huge volume of, of books on um, the themes of shame and vulnerability. And she's talked about the busyness sickness Uh, this is a quote from Brene, I think from Brene Brown's TED talk. One of the most universal numbing strategies is what I call crazy busy. I often say that when they start having 12 step meetings for busy, busy busyaholics, they'll need to rent out football stadiums. We are a culture of people who bought into the idea that if we stay busy enough, the truth of our lives won't catch up with us. It's just so true. And I think about the times when I've been my most busy in inverted commas and it really is trying to escape any downtime it's that inability to be alone or to be at peace or to have space which actually I want to tell a nice anecdote actually since I've cleared my time attitude or since I've changed my attitude to time really it's amazing so I came home the other day and I live in an apartment block and this old lady was there and she said oh I I just don't know what to do um and I couldn't really make sense of what was going on and she's like can you stay with me for a bit and then I walked around with her and we went to look at my at her flat um and she said I just I can't be on my own and she said you've been such an angel dear do you have somewhere to be and I was like no Mm. like I actually don't have anywhere to be and even if I do did I I would hope that the good in me but you could have would have dropped it to for that important moment because we speak about community and we speak about human interactions but if you don't have time and space to open yourself up to possibilities whether it's spontaneous or helping people then that's never going to happen definitely I mean there is a huge element to this which is you so beautifully kind of encapsulated with all of that which is and this is where we start getting very abstract is time's relation time's relationship to space it's actually something that Hendrix talks about in the big leap that thinking of time as something you create just allows you to fill your space in a completely different way and I think what you've just described with that act of goodwill to your elderly neighbor I think was just very beautiful I also chat to the postman now (laughs) (laughs) I think you were around once when I was doing that yeah yeah but you know it's that same it's that having time for people 
and looking people in the eye and just I think it's just a really important thing and what Brené is talking about is that world where I'm so busy I'm rushing through head down yes and and I just find it I find what Brene Brown talks about with this using busyness as a numbing technique so deeply sad because essentially it's talking about all the ways in which we waste time. So doing all of this busy work, be it professionally or also personally, because there are lots of people who fill their social calendars with stuff that is also a complete waste of time. All that is doing is distracting from you actually living in the present and sort of feeling things and basically just actually living living your life in a sense um and i really do think that work culture really compounds this issue because we are encouraged to be seen to be doing work so something Mm. you talked about earlier is thinking time is not valued and i i find that deeply ironic given that you know you and i are both what's considered knowledge workers and i think all of the experience we lean on comes from the fact that we come from the knowledge worker demographic and yet even within that cohort of people, we are not actually encouraged to sit at our desks and let our minds wander because you can't really, you can't see that work in the same way that you can sort of furiously bashing away at the keyboard. And you can see busyness, I suppose. And I think in our work lives, it's like, I'm contributing, this is what I talked about in the startup days, I'm contributing to the company's growth because I'm really busy. And if you've got a bunch of different departments, no one knows what anyone's doing and blah, blah. And then in your social, if you're in your personal life, if you're out every night, you're never alone, you don't sit quietly with your thoughts and yet you're communicating to the world like I'm smashing it at my social life, but actually it's quite, you're numbing. That's what it is, as mm. Brene beautifully puts it actually, because you're afraid of stopping. Mm. And as someone who now stops a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing we did last night in our social lives, which was maybe a blend of work and... <laughs> Um, great great love that we went the way you brought that (laughs) we went to a um we went to a talk about um the impact of automation on modern work it was called the technology trap and it was um actually about um it was the launch of a new book called the technology trap by an economics professor yes called carl benedict frey Something that was I was really struck by in that talk, which was deeply fascinating for lots of different reasons, but what's relevant to our discussion is on the panel was a professor of public policy at Cambridge called Diane Coyle. And she posed the question that measuring the economy by productivity is, a, is actually flawed. And what would be more interesting is if we measured how people spend their time and whether we looked at the quality of work over the quantity. I found that very, very fascinating because I think it gives us a very different way of thinking about something as big and kind of amorphous as labor economics. And it basically asks us to think about our time in relation to our work in a completely different way. What did you think about that? Yeah, I find this so interesting when we talk about the rise of technology and stealing jobs because i'm just like why don't we just like work less (laughs) you know if it's factory wise and you've got half the amount of jobs why doesn't everybody just work 50 percent of the time because this technology makes the factory more efficient it makes it produce more it makes it richer so providing there's a world where that money can trickle down better than it probably does Mm. why doesn't everyone just work 50 percent of the time 
And with the other 50% of their time, I'm not an economist, but they engage in leisure activities or they spend money and they mm. get, you know, and, and suddenly this is a very fun, fulfilling world. And so that's, that's kind of what could happen. And then also on the side of, again, it's that thing about workism and identity and how I work all the time, I work all the time. Whereas actually the biggest pursuit or the richest thing you could do is to take time off or have more leisure time, surely. I think people are scared to do that. I think this connects exactly to what we were just talking about with the busyness sickness, because if you stop and you are left alone with your thoughts, you have to actually think and feel things. And I think for a lot of people, that's actually quite scary uh, because it maybe will bring into question, am I really doing what I love? There might be, there just will be a torrent of questions that will come flooding in and working less basically just invites all of those thoughts to come in. That's so upsetting in a way that people are afraid of themselves. Oh, definitely. And so they yes. just slave to the man. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's that argument that people say, oh, I just love my job. I just love what I do. So I want to do it all the time. What do you, I presume you love what you do. <laughs> so I, I, I do, I do actually, I do. So really, what do you think I do about really, that? I love what I do, not only because of the content of my work, but because it allows me to live my life in a certain way. So you were describing your routine earlier and I am a bit more rigid in mine, but I also actively factor things into my day that are really important to me that have nothing to do with work and I'm not paid to do so similar to you going to the gym is a really high priority walking my dogs you know how I spend my non-paid time is very important to me and having flexibility and having the ability to even though I do set an alarm in the morning if I wake up one morning and can't don't feel like I want to get out of bed at that time having the flexibility to be able to turn the alarm off and go back to sleep these are all things that I value very highly and as I said part of the reason I love what I do is because it enabled me to live my life in that way and I see my life as much more than just my job and my job title um it probably makes you better at what you do as well i i would hope so i definitely feel that my output or the quality of my work actually if we were to kind of go back to what we were talking about earlier about how you should be measuring the quality rather than the quantity I feel that that has improved greatly since i've started working in this way so that's not to say that i don't think we couldn't be thinking in that way for people who aren't freelance but I think I've kind of tried to divorce this idea that you know I am just what I do I think that's exactly it and what I've learned so I've I think I've left every job I've had without having one to go to maybe one or two times I haven't done that but I've had loads of time off work um and when you have time off work you have to fill your days in things that aren't work I mean there's only so many jobs you can apply for um and, and so I built a life that was going to talks, going to the gym, reading, whatever it was. And I was a person outside of work for a long time. And this, and I think that's quite a privileged thing to be able to do, I suppose. But if there is a way to build and create a life or take time out of work, I think it can be very life-changing because it forces you to create an identity away from the office. hundred percent. And I think that people really struggle with that. We were having a conversation recently because our wonderful producer, Chris here, has 
done just that he's left a job without one to go to with the express intent of taking time off uh we were relaying the story to someone recently and they were absolutely shocked by this idea that you could you would have this quote-unquote gap on your cv and that you would be choosing to not do something with your time and i think that's a really dangerous place that we we that we as a society are in if we don't value time off i think one of the this person said well what's a future employer going to say about that gap in your cv and at least how i think about this is if i work for someone who doesn't value taking time off that's not someone i really want to be working for i mean the cv is dead we've <laughs> heard it here first so that's just stupid but also yeah you're completely right it's do I want to work for someone like that and it's also that's such an old-fashioned Ooh, you've got a gap in your cv what were you doing and I mean it's total bullshit you could have stayed in your job and not shown up every day and put it in your cv I just find that attitude is just so small-minded and I wouldn't want to work anywhere that wasn't progressive because what's their attitude to you taking holiday therefore going to be exactly or flexible working exactly so yeah it's a bit was that person of a different generation yes because yes. i find baby boomer yeah parents and advice about these things is always tricky to navigate <laughs> definitely um i think that leaves us in a great place to bring us to our next segment which is how can we manage our time better manage our time better I feel like Anna you must be bursting with tips for me (laughs) so I think the first one is something that you already what we both already talked about earlier which is what we got from the Gay Hendricks book on how we should stop complaining about time so this was he has this whole section in the book I might actually read a little bit from it but essentially it's just catch yourself every time you feel that you are blaming time for something so some of the examples he uses are I wish I had time to stop and chat but I'm in a hurry where did the time go there simply aren't enough hours in the day if I'd only gotten another hour of sleep I have to get to the bank I don't have time to do that right now etc etc so moving away from using this moving away from using time as your excuse for not doing something and basically stop blaming time yeah I mean as I said that worked I also liked how he talked about if a kid comes up to you when you're working and says oh can you play with me a parent might normally say I don't have time whereas actually what you can say is I have to finish this piece of work first and that's a priority and then I'll come and play with you what a beautiful mm. world where no one complains about time it sounds lovely it does sound lovely I mean I think that actually was a really interesting example because you obviously you ha- of course there are situations where you do have to be a bit careful um because we're not at a point where it would be socially acceptable for me to say I don't want to come to a birthday party because it's not a priority for me but I think that there are ways to get around that so I think you can just be careful about the excuses you give and just being really, really 
you know, really reserving those white lies about, oh, I don't have time to do that for very, very exceptional circumstances and trying just to get away from defaulting to it. If you internalize the fact that you do have time, I think that's what I found. Suddenly I didn't feel busy. And I think feeling busy is very much actually being overwhelmed. So when I decided mentally there is lots of time and I moved more slowly, I found that really big. And part of getting there is to stop complaining about time. Um, If anyone asks me, are you busy? I say no, apart from my (laughs) mother-in-law. She always goes, are you busy? And I go, yeah, I'm really busy. (laughs) Apart from that, I go, no, I've got no, it's quite fun, actually. It's it's funny because it's definitely a generational thing, as we were talking about earlier, that you wear busyness as a some kind of badge of honor um also I think another really great way to be better with our time is also just to be realistic about it in the same way that I have this pet peeve about people who are late because I just don't understand why they don't know how long it takes to get somewhere I think you need to be realistic about how long it takes to do something so going back to the to-do list as a great example there's no point putting I'm sure you don't put write book at the top of your to-do list you probably break that down a little bit because I think putting write book at the top of your to-do list every day is actually only going to be a recipe for disaster because you're not going to be able to write the book in a day so you have to be realistic about the time it takes to do something and break down those tasks accordingly and the best way to get there is to track your time I also want to say city mapper gives much more accurate (laughs) estimates of how long it takes to get somewhere versus Google. It normally adds, say for a 20 to 40 minute journey, CityMapper gives you the extra 10 minutes that's more realistic. And I'm not sponsored by CityMapper. I genuinely use this all the time. And then coupled with that, I'm now honest about how long it takes me to get ready. And that's, again, if you don't know, track it be honest about it because we all do that thing where we're at home all day and we have to go somewhere and we leave it to the last minute to get ready but again if you say I care about being on time therefore I'm going to let's say I do get ready a bit earlier great you know completely changing your attitude I think can be really transformative but then of course when other people don't do that you begin to notice it a bit more don't you oh yeah definitely I mean that's the thing is it's hard when you've had this radical (laughs) epiphany and the rest of the world is literally moving at a very different pace to you and they haven't grasped these groundbreaking life-changing techniques and ways of thinking I've always gone out with people who are very punctual Mm. I think it's something I look for in a in a a life partner (laughs) um so yeah so that's tracking time concentration productivity so I am a real big fan of the Pomodoro technique which I dismissed at first because I thought it was another time management mumbo jumbo piece of nonsense but the Pomodoro technique is actually very simple and anyone can do it and you don't need any fancy software you just set a timer for 25 minutes you focus on one piece of work at a time and then you take a five minute break and you rinse and repeat this for four times and then you take a longer break obviously you can change the the timings so it doesn't have to be 25 minutes it can be longer it can be shorter whatever the key to this whole thing is focusing on one task at a time and this is really about removing distractions and being focused and it also I think comes back to 
this whole piece we've been talking about throughout this episode, which is prioritization. That once you realize that, oh God, actually, well, you know, for me, in my case, writing an article, I, I can't get around the fact that it will just, it will take a number of hours and breaking those down in, breaking those, breaking that down into chunks of time makes me realize how how long it actually takes to do something. And if it is my priority to meet my deadline and not piss off my editors, I use the Pomodoro technique to kind of get through that. And it also, I think also really helps me with that feeling of being overwhelmed because mm. I'm there in the moment, only focusing on the writing. I've X'd out of the inbox and WhatsApp and everything else, and I'm just focusing. Pomodoro technique is a game changer, particularly if you're doing boring work or work you don't want to do. And as discussed, I leave that work till last. It's very interesting because I have, I do it the complete other way around. I use it pretty much exclusively for writing and creative work. Oh, so so writing creative, I go in a flow Mm. um, and I don't, whereas when it's something I don't want to do, I find it, maybe the difference is you get paid for your writing. So it's actually a more it's for me now it's almost like a fun Mm. treat in comparison I I, I wonder but um but for but what I think is amazing about the Pomodoro technique whatever you're doing is you get in the habit of putting your phone away and all that kind of stuff but you realize so 25 minutes a you get loads done yeah and every time you know the first time you do it I don't do it in four chunks in a row that's actually too much for me I'm doing more like two or three but um do you find it that like the five, seven minute angle time you struggle yeah. and you almost go and get your phone or whatever and you retrain the brain no and then suddenly the 25 minutes is gone yes. and you've got lots done. Isn't that amazing? It's, I almost liken it to, you know, when you start a new gym routine or something or where there's, you know, you're, you're, you're training a muscle that you've never even realized was there before. It's really hard to engage it at first. And I had that exact thing. I was looking at the timer it was always a kind of only eight minutes had passed and I think oh my god how have I still got so many more minutes to go and it was just I had to fight every urge to pull my phone out and or kind of go and quickly look at my emails or do something else uh, and I think it really speaks to what a distracted and fractured world we live in where we can't even focus we can't even you know sit down and spend 25 minutes of our time on one task yeah, I wish I'd had it in my office days. I know my boyfriend uses it at his office, um, but I would have loved to almost have the timer up against, above my desk mm. and like, don't talk to me or something. I'd be really interested to hear how companies are thinking about solving the concentration problem. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I love that idea that you could almost, I mean, here's a million dollar startup idea for you that you could have some <laughs> kind of timer that sat on your desk and gave people a cue that said, you know, I'm now on Pomodoro time don't even think about tapping me on the shoulder i think i'd have mine on all the time (laughs) separate (laughs) issue about but you know the whole world can't work at home so we need to find ways to bring these working practices into the office which is why we're here to talk about such things definitely um and i think kind of related to how we were saying you know the different ways we we use our pomodoro techniques and also related to the fact that you know you and i operate on a very different routine is i think for me this really comes down to leaning into your natural time inclinations and just how your own rhythms work and being honest with yourself sitting down and doing an exercise where you actually write down what your priorities are making the time and space to do that um 
and also accepting the fact that you know I am someone who likes to look ahead in the future quite a lot and I like to structure I like to do things because I know my future self will appreciate them whereas you are more of a in the moment you're more rooted in the present which is you've got which is where your feet should be planted makes makes me great fun on a night out (laughs) (laughs) Um, um not so much anymore um yeah so I'm quite I'm so I think this is actually being very ruthless about prioritization in the sense that and I got this in the startup days you're thinking so much about that short-term thing you need to do you don't give any space to the next thing um and it's a habit I'm in so if I'm packing for a holiday so I actually am going on two holidays in a row woe is me and um, (laughs) and um I need to pack for both beforehand and my brain is really struggling with the number two because the way I deal with anything is what's next what's next and I don't think outside of what's next so a great example is this book stuff I'm only thinking I need to write most of it then there's a next step and I vaguely know what that next step is but my brain does not think about the next step Mm. so but you naturally think more into the future I mean I literally have uh, a roadmap for myself (laughs) where you know you have kind of if you're launching a product you have a roadmap is one of these kind of trendy startup terms but it's literally a board I have in Trello about what I'm doing what I'm working on now what I want to work on next what I want to work on after that what's in the future you know I have I have all of these columns um on my Trello board I sound like such a nerd but um yeah that is because I have this natural inclination to keep looking almost too far forward it makes it makes sense doesn't it it's like I'm looking in why am I doing this now because of this future thing Whereas for whatever reason, my brain just works differently. Yeah. And and my, my point is, is to just lean into, accept that and just lean into it and recognize also, because I, I, I recognize that it's not good to not be, you can't always be looking so far into the future. There is that, you know, there's that terrible cliche, but it's really true that um, when you make a plan, God laughs or whatever. Well, I, um, yeah, I mean, like, but likewise, I'm learning to be less in the moment yeah because you ideally you you know other you want to be able to pack for that and subsequent holiday I need to pack and I actually used to struggle to commit to things that were more than three or six months away mm. and I've had to learn to stop doing that yeah but to me this really comes down to a greater self-awareness and we talk a lot about that in general culture around knowing ourselves but I think there is such an important application to our professional lives as well and that's a great note to end on. Thanks, Anna, for telling me about how you work to improve your life. Thank you, Tiffany, for taking the time to spend this afternoon with me. I have all the time. You are listening to Is This Working? Brought to you by your hosts, Anna Kodrarado and Tiffany Philippou and produced by Chris Bannister. Please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast if you enjoyed it. It really helps us out. We also want to hear from you because this podcast is all about how we can improve your working lives. You can email us your existential work crises to isthisworkingshow at gmail.com and tweet us at isthis underscore working.